Today's episode is brought to you by friends. I have some of the best friends ever. Friends I've had for decades, and new friends too. I don't keep in touch with them like I should. I'm just not good at phone calls or any of that kind of stuff. But I really do appreciate them. I've, I've always been lucky to have great friends. That's meant the world to me. Also, how about that TV show, Friends? I just remembered that's what this ad is supposed to be about. Personally, I'm not crazy about that show. But it's got Monica and Joey and fucking Jake. Go to Max to stream every episode of the legendary hit comedy, Friends. All right, let's turn it up. Picture it. The year is 1987. I'm sitting on the back of my dad's motorcycle on a beautiful spring day. I'm a young, carefree boy. Well, that's not true. My stomach always hurt because I was very nervous and anxious. But forget about that right now. Because here I am, riding on the back of my dad's motorcycle through the rolling hills of beautiful Middle Tennessee. The wind is blowing through my, uh, against my carefully fastened helmet, and all is right with the world. Skinnerd is blasting from my dad's cassette tape. As I hear the birds singing and watch the trees race by, I'm serenaded by Gary Rossington's melodic guitar solo on Tuesday's Gone. I'm nodding my head to Bob Burns' surprisingly funky drum intro to I Ain't the One. Oh, wait. Now I'm wiggling my little boy ass. No, sorry, that's gross. But now I'm wiggling my little boy ass to Billy Powell's honky-tonk-tinged ivory tickling on things going on. All the while, I am regaled with the deceptively clever lyrics and folksy charm of Mr. Ronnie Van Zant. Life is good. But suddenly, tragedy strikes. That smell has popped up in my dad's rotation. Ooh, indeed. For the next five minutes and 47 seconds, I am trapped listening to the very worst of the Skinner classics. Suddenly, my mind starts to wander. I'm no longer entranced by a three-guitar attack. I'm closer to a panic attack. Oh, shit, it's Sunday. I have to go back to school tomorrow. What if I don't get an A on that test? What if that cute girl notices me staring at her? What about that bully? Mom says it'll be fine, but who the hell appointed her expert of eight-year-old bullies in the 1980s? Has she ever seen a popular movie in this decade with kids in it? Riddled with bullies, all of them. 
Oh, there it is. The chorus. The reason I'm tuning out. Thanks a lot, that smell. You've ripped me straight out of fantasy world and into horrible reality. Sorry, that was different. A little play for you, perhaps. Theater of the mind, man. The point is, I do not like that smell. And I will get into that further. But first, I'm going to remember to ask for your help at the top of the episode for once. This is my last chance, last season, and I want to see how far we can go. And I always say we, because I mean me and, and you, the dear listeners. How far can we take this silly podcast? Well, here are some things that I've learned that boost the podcast. So other people are more likely to listen. First, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or any other place where you listen to the podcast. I am on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Podbean, whatever that is. I just got an email that said, you're on Podbean now. I don't even know what that means. I think I'm on Amazon, maybe, and probably some others. So if you see fit... Leave a positive review on whatever platform it is you're using to listen to Skinner Reconsidered. Also, wouldn't it be fun for you to listen to the old episodes again as we launch into the new season? The more plays you get, the more your podcast gets recommended on all the platforms. So it's a snowball kind of thing. An avalanche situation, if you will. And if you don't want to listen, just hit play and let it roll for a little while. You can walk away and yell at your kids or do whatever it is you like to do. It still counts. I'm sure no one will do that one, but it's a lot of fun to ask. So if you want to help out, it's much appreciated. Or just do whatever you want. I'm not the boss of you. It is enough that you are listening. Also, I have a new logo that some of you have already seen. If you're on Twitter, maybe it will show up on the platforms with this episode. I'm not sure how it works. I have to figure it out. But I've got a new logo I'm excited about. Yes, we're going to have t-shirts for sale with this new logo. More on that later. Oh, on the last episode, I was struggling to understand why I don't like the song What's Your Name as much as some other Skinner songs that are similar. As several of you have pointed out, and I failed to mention, one of the problems with What's Your Name is the horns. The horns don't help. They add nothing to the song and are kind of cheesy. And I told you I love story songs, like Give Me Three Steps. Maybe what I didn't realize at the time is that not every story is as enjoyable as the next. Give Me Three Steps is a pretty funny song because it turns expectations on their head. You have badass Ronnie playing the role of a coward. That's great. Meanwhile, the problem with What's Your Name might be all the misogyny, 
And maybe that's too strong. Maybe it's not misogynistic. Maybe the lady in the tune enjoyed her time with Ronnie Van Zant as much as he did, and then they both moved on. But him not remembering her name after their tryst is just an expected rock trope and not very interesting to me. The opposite in that way of Gimme Three Steps. But let's move on and nitpick some other song lyrics, much to everyone's dismay. The song for the day is That Smell. It was written by Ronnie Van Zant and Alan Collins. Ronnie wrote this song about his bandmates, who were getting fucked up on drugs and alcohol. For Skinner, it was lots and lots of drinking, and cocaine, and yes, heroin. And Ronnie was doing it as well. He said that he started using cocaine and heroin to take the edge off playing shows in front of huge audiences, which I'm sure can be very frightening and intimidating. But for this song, Ronnie chose to look outward rather than inward, and his number one target in this song is guitar player Gary Rossington, who we recently lost, but who ironically outlasted the rest of the band, most by quite a few years. But back around the time this song was written, the band had a number of bad accidents and car crashes, some of which I've discussed already on this show, and all of them were related to abuse of drugs and alcohol. This all culminated in Gary Rossington crashing his Ford Torino into an oak tree on the side of Mandarin Road in Jacksonville, Florida, in September 1976. Gary fell asleep while he was high and drunk, and he had to miss some shows. I'm pretty damn sure that's what ultimately pissed Ronnie off the most. And that's just me talking. I don't know. Ronnie never said that anywhere. But the entire band was basically living the same lifestyle, and we know Ronnie ran the band like a drill sergeant and would not accept someone missing shows. Party all you want, but don't mess with the band kind of thing. Ronnie did say, and this is a quote, I had a creepy feeling things were going against us. So I thought I'd blow lines, slam some H, and write a morbid song. Uh, what? What was that, Ronnie? <laughs> you decided to blow lines, slam some H, and write a cautionary tale about drug abuse. Right, I guess every artist has his own method. Anyway, I hate this song. I already recorded an entire bonus episode with my dear friend and brother-in-law, Aaron, talking about why we hate this song. Look it up. It's the episode called Bonus Episode, Just a Couple Old Friends Talking Skinnered. What a title. It was released on October 20th, 2020. No, the episode does not have a number. Yes, I should have established a numbering system a long time ago. But who knew? Let's give it a listen. By Leonard Skinnerd. this is That Smell. I 
before I get into my complaints about this song, I love the opening lyrics here. Ronnie once again proves what a great lyric writer he is with these two short opening lines. He said everything that needed to be said in the first two lines. He laid it all out immediately. Whiskey bottles and brand new cars. Oak tree, you're in my way. The oak tree, you're in my way line is brilliant. It's specific, which makes it interesting, but it's also concise. It's kind of funny in a way. It's the perspective of an alcoholic or a drug addict who blames everyone and everything else for what goes wrong. It's not my fault. The treat was in my way. And as we know, it's, this is accurate. This is a true-to-life lyric. This is next-level songwriting. Youngsters, take note. Some of Ronnie's best work. And honestly, I kind of like the guitar intro here as well. But whatever, who cares? I'm trying to make a point that I don't like this song. And uh, yeah, it's a great opener, but sadly, it's downhill from here. There's too much coke and too much smoke. Look what's going on inside you. All right, we get into the chorus, which doesn't work at all. I love the honkettes, but I hate them here. The background singing doesn't work. It sounds, again, kind of cheesy. Everything about this sounds overly dramatic to me. I'm trying to make this big point. It's a little too serious. Doesn't sound like Skinner to me. The lyrics in the chorus sound dumb. And yes, part of the reason is they can be easily misconstrued. And maybe that's not fair to Ronnie, but my friend Aaron had his misinterpretation on the bonus episode I already told you about, if you want to listen to that. And as a young kid, I didn't pay enough attention to realize this song was about death. I didn't understand the line, the smell of death surrounds you. So it just sounded like a guy complaining about a bad smell, which does not make for a great song. But maybe that's on me. Again, the background vocals, the honkettes, the hell yeah, that's not good. It's kind of laughable to me. The lyrics were good. Ronnie covers it all here. Angel of darkness is upon you, stuck a needle in your arm. So take another toke, have a blow for your nose. One more drink fool will drown you. That's all the band's vices right there. Heroin, weed. Cocaine, alcohol. It's kind of funny how marijuana got lumped in with heroin <laughs> and cocaine back in the day. 
All right, let's take another sniff. Bridge is okay. Not bad. It is bad the way it ends with the, the background scene again. Lyrics here are fine. Now they call you Prince Charming. This song gave Gary Rossington the nickname Prince Charming, which he would carry for the rest of his surprisingly long life. You could do much worse for a nickname, if you ask me. And maybe in the end, Gary did lead a charmed life to make it as long as he did. Ronnie also sings here, can't speak a word when you're full of lewds. A good line. And we have now added a fifth intoxicant to the list. Quaaludes, baby. The cars never stood a chance. Or the trees. This is a pretty cool instrumental passage. The solos work. This is an example of a time where I could do without Ronnie's uh, vocals over the guitars, his vamping, his lad libs. Although this was interesting to me when I looked up the lyrics, because I'd never really noticed before that he says, uh, after, hey, you're a fool, you, and stick them needles in your arm, right around 250. Ronnie sings, I know I've been there before. Maybe everyone else noticed that before, but I'm glad he put that in. Despite what I said before about possible hypocrisy from Ronnie, I appreciate him saying I've been there before. I honestly don't know if Ronnie had moved past his drug use at the time he wrote these lyrics, or at least maybe he thought he had. My guess is he was still drinking and drugging, but it's kind of an interesting line. Just one more fix, Lord, might do the trick. 
Bernani seems to really enjoy calling Gary a fool on this song, just relishing the moment. And my God, that chorus that we heard a little while back. I can't, <laughs> can't get it out of my head. I like Artemis Pyle's hi-hat work here. Very cool. So there it is, That Smell by Leonard Skinner. I talked a lot about the lyrics, like I do, but other than the lyrics in the chorus, they're pretty good. So that's not my primary complaint. I just think, again, this song sounds kind of cheesy. I already said that about What's Your Name. So I'm getting a little bit worried about this album, Freebirds. To me, it sounds kind of sterile and clean. Where's that Skinnerd swagger? Our sponsor today is Friends. Check out that TV show Friends on The Max that is not called HBO Max anymore for some reason. Who knows anymore? I've been told this is a very popular show, and as popular as it is, I'm sure it's very relatable. I know I have to explain myself thoroughly here. So who cares we're running long? I know a lot of you love that smell. But in summary, here's what I hate about this song. Number one, it sucks to listen to. That's always important to me. Number two, it's frustrating because it was close to being a good song. Not unlike What's Your Name? The first two lines are a songwriter's dream. You've made your entire point from the very beginning in a poetic way, a funny way. You've got the rest of the song to play with and to reinforce your point however you want. But then you fumble the ball by writing, Ooh, that smell. Can't you smell that smell? And then the third reason, it's too long. I mean, it would be fine if I liked it, but it's, I don't like it when it's long. You know what? That's enough. Regardless of what I think or my friend thinks, that smell is loved by many and was a big Skinnerd hit. And not only that, I know there are followers of this show that are big fans of this song because you have already complained about me not liking this song. So for this episode, I'm doing something unusual. I decided to bring on a longtime listener and friend who loves this song to give a different perspective, and to hopefully take the pressure off me. I'm nothing if not fair. 
Let's hear both sides. Maybe they're right and I'm wrong. That's extremely unlikely, but let's listen to what at least one fan of the song has to say. That fan and our very special guest is Terry Mathley, also known as T-Bone. Terry worked for 32 years as a musician, and for over 12 of those years, he was the web properties social media manager for Hall & Oates, Steve Cropper, G.E. Smith, the Doobie Brothers, and many more. And on top of all that, during most of that time, he had an FM freeform radio show in Detroit called T-Bone's Prime Cuts. He currently makes a podcast where he interviews great musicians, including Steve Cropper, Pete Thompson, Steve Hunter, Damon Johnson, Mike Skill, and John Oates. Terry is a survivor of two strokes and a brain tumor, an inspiration to many, and he's been a huge supporter of this podcast from the very beginning. More importantly, he's a great person and friend of mine. So let's check out my conversation about That Smell with Terry Mathley. So Terry, welcome to Skinner Reconsidered. So happy to have you on the show, finally. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to finally be here. Yeah, yeah. We kind of got to know each other on Twitter because of this podcast and your podcast, and we've become real good friends. So it's, I'm glad to finally have you on here. And the main reason I've known for years that I wanted you on this particular episode is because I've made it very clear I'm not a big fan of that smell. And I know that a lot of Skinner fans, a lot of musicians like yourselves, people who know a lot about music, they love the song. So I have to get the other side of the story. You're a fan of this song by Leonard Skinner called That Smell, correct? Well, I'll just give you a brief intro. I didn't get into music till late. You know, I was 17 when I started listening to rock music. And then by the time I was about 18 and a half, I'd heard a few Leonard Skinner songs, but I didn't really know anything about them. You know, I heard like Sweet Home Alabama and Freebird, of course. And uh, I was going on the first date with my first real serious girlfriend. Uh-huh. And uh, we, we we went out to eat. Then we were at the mall. Then we went to a movie. And we we're at the mall, went into the uh, record and tape store. And I happened to see Gold and Platinum. And I was okay. like, well, maybe I should check them out. I could hear some other songs I'm not used to hearing. Of course, I didn't play it then, you know, but then the next day I played it. And the first song on side two was That Smell. And me not really knowing anything about them, that song just struck me right there. And people talk about Stevie Nicks writing songs about uh, her and Lindsay breaking up then making him play them and how daring that is. Well, here's a song written about oh, about the whole band, but basically about Gary. Right. And, then he, and then making him play it. I thought that was kind of interesting, too. I didn't know that at the time. Right. I was amazed more by that song than any song on, on the Gold and Platinum record. Oh, wow. And, and that's why, I mean, since 1984, when I first heard it, that's been my favorite Skinner song. Oh, incredible. I knew you liked it. I didn't know it was your very favorite. Yeah. I like what you had to say about 
of course, Ronnie wrote the lyrics mostly about Gary Rossington, who, as yeah. I mentioned before, was in some bad accidents. And, and that's what the song is about. And it is, that is a good way to make your point to uh, make your band member play the, the song you wrote, castigating yeah, you know. them, uh, you know, every night. And it actually reminds me of uh, Mr. Brownstone by Guns N' Roses. I've never made this connection before, but I do also love Guns N' Roses, uh, Gunners and mm-hmm. Skinner. Those are my two very favorite bands that you'll likely hear when you're yeah. walking by a construction site. And they both had these great debut albums. So I kind of th- sometimes think of them together, but he did the same thing. Axel did with Mr. Brownstone. And there was a famous concert when I think they were opening for the Rolling Stones and Axel before Mr. Brownstone said, uh, you know, if some of these guys in the band don't quit spending so much time with Mr. Brownstone, we're going to have a real problem or, you know, something like that to sort of call them out and embarrass them. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I guess, yeah, it's a way, one way to make your point. I, I never knew that. <laughs> so one thing I will say about the song that I agree is, is very cool is a lot of the guitar work. Mm-hmm. And I can see where that would grab you hearing this song for the first time as probably a lot older than I was. I, I, you know, I heard this song my entire life since I was a, an infant. So what are your thoughts on, on the guitar work here? Um, I think you, you told me before, I think you've got all three Skinner players, guitar players kind of having their moment. Yeah. Well, I, I will say that when I f- first heard it, I wasn't even playing guitar. I didn't start playing until I was 20. And I first heard that about 18 and a half, but I was always, taken by by you know gary's playing right at the beginning of the intro he was one of those kind of guys who wasn't you know bombastic or whatever but he he always played he, he always had really in tune bends and when you go see bands you you don't hear that a lot mm-hmm. and then that the um oh the feedback the echo and the feedback when he holds those those notes right at the end of the intro yes and I, I've told you before, I've never said it publicly, that I actually didn't think that Gary was all, I shouldn't say I didn't think Gary was good. I thought he was good, but I thought he's by far the least talented of all the guitarists in the band mm-hmm. Un- until I joined a Skinner tribute band. And through no choice of my own, I was assigned his parts. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that, he, he he was meat and potatoes player, you know, but his stuff perfectly fit the songs. Right. And so so he got me. I mean, the way that song starts really gets me. And then uh, a little later, uh, Steve Gaines comes in. You know, you could tell the Strat sound. And what I didn't know, even though I call myself, you know, listening, I didn't realize that all three of them play fair amount in that song. I didn't know that Alan played it until I, I I really listened, and then I I saw a video from like a month before before they put the record out. See, I didn't know that either, and that's I think it's hard. You know, I don't know as much about guitar. I don't play guitar uh, like you do, but I think a lot of people have trouble picking out the who's playing what when it comes to the guitar. You got three of them oh, yeah. most of the time for for one thing, so that already makes it more difficult. But um, they do have distinct sounds in some ways, but they also sound similar enough that they blend together. I think it makes the songs work. Gary certainly, well, compared to Alan Collins and Steve Gaines, he's not going to play as fast or as fancy as those two guys uh, do. And like you said before, Gary kind of 
has just the perfect sound and he grounds the song and almost allows those other two to shine. But yeah, I didn't know making this podcast and often I don't know which guitar player I'm I'm listening to. So I didn't know that all three, as you're teaching me, kind of had their moment. Well, like I say, I I wasn't completely sure until I saw them play it live. Right. Then I went back and listened to the other and then, and then you could hear certain licks that you know alan does and you could hear the strat i mean you could hear the strat already but i mean i didn't know that alan was involved at all and he plays a little short solo in the middle and then towards the end of the song he has a longer one and then him and steve play together okay they're playing at the same time and it it's magical so tell me about i knew you had done this in the past but tell me a little more about being in a skinner cover band and and playing Gary you said that you came to appreciate his parts more what was it exactly about learning those parts that gave you a new appreciation well you know I honestly I I was I liked Steve Gaines at the time but I didn't know that much about him I really wanted to do the Allen stuff I Uh really wanted to do that bad and the guy who put the group together of course was him you know, we had three guitar players. <laughs> Everybody wanted to be Alan, yeah. Yeah. And um, it's hard to say. I mean, it was just, if you played Gary's stuff, you played the more memorable lines of the song, too. And that and that was important. You know, we didn't play out that much, you know, because we put it together, then one guy moved, and another guy got another job, and that was it. You know, three shows, yeah. and that was it. And, you know, after hours of <laughs> rehearsal and learning songs, so, but oh, yeah. uh, well, but I, I noticed, especially live, that when it was my turn to play something, it was it was a part of the song that you remember, okay. even if it wasn't if it, even if it wasn't you know as fiery as what they did, what he played was always a part of the song that you you could hum along to or or that you could sing to or or this is that you remember when you do it in your head with you know without the lyric you just play you know, hum the music or whatever, it's it's usually a part that he's played. Not always, but a lot of times. That makes perfect sense to me as I've, even the last year or so, and since Gary's death, when I was digging in a little bit more and watching videos yeah. and trying to figure out exactly what did Gary do, that makes a lot of sense to me where Alan Collins, he kind of grabs you and he, he's showy and he's he does the big leap on stage and he plays yeah. the fast Freebird solo and so of course you're putting together a tribute band. All the guitar players might want to be Alan, but yeah, Gary just had uh, these melodic moments, these these catchy moments, this great sound that yeah means yeah. a lot to those songs, and and in a lot of ways probably means more to their popularity and their success. Maybe the guitar nerds would all love Alan, but you need a guy like Gary to kind of get your song across to the masses to hold it together. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was interesting because the three shows we did play, all the people who you know the ones that were guitarists stood over in front of Kyle. He was the guy that did the Allen parts. <laughs> but at the at the end of a show, I would get more comments than I ever got before because they identified with what I was playing. Uh-huh. People they don't know they don't know who did what and who, you know, but they they know that stuff. That's when I started trying to figure out who played what. And it, you can't, like you say, you can't always separate it. But, you know, we we kind of delved into it. And 
that's when I learned exactly what he, I knew some of the stuff he played, but I learned what exactly he played of the songs we chose. And that was, it was a big deal. I mean, it's like I say, I, I always respected him, but I had a new respect for him after that. Yeah. And yeah. And of course, Gary was the one guy who was there in the beginning and, and was the last one to go and not to turn this into another tribute episode. I've done that, but this song is about Gary. <laughs> the lyrics were written by Ronnie. Yeah. Mostly about Gary. Prince Charming. Yeah. Prince Charming became Gary's nickname. So it's pretty relevant here. So what do you think about the album? This we're on the second song of the album Street Survivors. And I'm still not sure. I'm digging into one song at a time. You know, the first two albums obviously are the the most popular along with this one, the fifth and final Skinnerd album by the, by the real band. So for you, how does this one rate in the, in the first five, the real five albums or how does this one work for you overall? Well, you know, of course, what's your name is a classic. Mm -hmm. uh, that smell. I, I love, <laughs> I know you don't care for, uh, you got that right. It's a great song. I've always liked that. I love how, you know, Steve sings in that. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, I Know Little is just crazy good. I mean, I, I heard that for probably five years before I even knew that was Steve Gaines. You know, that's when I really started probably, yeah, probably 88, 89, I started really, get, you know, looking into him. Yeah, that opening is pretty mind-blowing. The uh, Now, the other songs, they're okay, you know, uh, but, I, I mean, I could take them or leave them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. I'd probably put that album third or fourth. Mm -hmm. You know, if if you're doing an overall thing, I mean, it's uh, uh, the songs I do like, I really like, and the other ones are just, you know, just fine. Even the even the Merle Haggard cover, you know, it's 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 okay. I mean, you know, it's it's not. There's nothing bad that on any of these songs, but I just I I won't you know replay them, but I always replay those four. Yeah, of course, I guess I can't share my opinion because it'll spoil the rest of the season, but uh, <laughs> that's true. That's I, I'm true. Just realizing, but I appreciate you. Well, tune yours. in to find yeah, out. Tune in. Yeah. I will say that a, a lot of what you're saying makes sense to me. Well, Terry, I really appreciate you doing this. Before we go, do you want to plug your great podcast? Uh, you've had some amazing guests on, as I mentioned in the intro, Steve Cropper. Uh, well, why don't you tell the people about your your podcast? You have some very cool guests. I had uh, Steve Hunter, who you know played guitar for everybody. Alice Cooper, Errol, he played you know Errol Smith when you didn't even know it was him. They put him in there. Jack Bruce, uh, Peter Gabriel, just just too many people to mention. Really, I had Pete Thompson, who's a drummer. He was with Silverhead with Michael DeBar. He was on a Robert Plant record. He worked with the guys from Uriah Heap, Mike Skill from the Romantics, Steve Cropper, mm -hmm. uh, John Oates. Yeah, Steve Cropper, who's a legend, and, and John Oates, obviously everyone knows, another legend. Those were those are great episodes. And then what I'll mention is you had Damon Johnson, who is relevant to this podcast. Yeah. yeah. He's played yeah. with Skinner, right? Yeah, and he's he's taken uh, Gary's place, basically. Yeah. And uh, Skinner. Yeah. So Skinner fans who are listening here, you might want to check out Terry's great interview with with Damon Johnson. You know, I haven't recorded a new episode since last year, and 
but I, I recently got some good news for my medical problems and hopefully that changes soon. I'll start up again. I've been, what I've done over the last maybe eight months or so is uh, cut up, you know, little clips, video clips of the uh, podcast. And uh, some of those have got quite a few views on YouTube, 10,000, 8,000, 8,000, you know, and uh, yeah. I, got, I come to find out that, you know, I think you're right. People, people aren't that interested in the, uh, you know, hours worth of video. But if I can, you know, distill it down to three to six minutes, then they'll watch. I mean, nobody has an attention span anymore. There's just too much oh, content yeah. available. But yeah, you're, you've right. got tons of views. And yeah, because you have a lot of these great short clips with um, these legendary musicians, and they're always comfortable speaking with you. Uh, but I'm glad you brought up your, your good news, because I actually thought about mentioning it myself, Terry, but I didn't think it was my place. I don't know if you want to share exactly the news you got very recently, but we're all excited about it. Well, I I, I found out that uh, after my last MRI that what was left of my tumor has decreased by 50%. Yeah. Even the doctor was shocked. I mean, I was, I felt that it had, that it, it was shrinking, but not that much. Yeah, it's amazing news. You've been through a lot health-wise and uh, you inspire a lot of people. You talk about what you've been through and uh, and it's we were all glad to hear this great news. So hopefully the podcast comes back soon. More importantly, hopefully you stay healthy. Yeah, I got to do an episode with you sometime. Uh, anytime you want, you say the word. See now it, it's on the podcast, so it's 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 you know it has to now it's now. official. Yeah, I'd love to come yeah. on and talk to you some more. Yeah, all right, man. Well, thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Thanks again to Terry T-Bone Mathley for joining the show. Please check out his podcast, T-Bone's Prime Cuts, which you can find on Apple, Spotify, and all the places you find podcasts. Check out his website, tbpcpodcast.com. That's tbpcpodcast.com. And follow him on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Oh, and did you think I forgot? I know I have to rate this song on a scale of one to five Skinners. I give this song 1.9 Skinners. Is that the lowest rating in the history of Skinnerd Reconsidered? I think it might be. I'm not sure, but I think it is. If anyone out there knows, let me know. Before we go, there's one thing that's crazy about this song, that smell, that I haven't mentioned yet. And that is that Ronnie felt something ominous. Remember his quote from before? With the drug stuff removed, here's what he said. Quote, I had a creepy feeling things were going against us, so I thought I'd write a morbid song. End quote. Ronnie felt like he could smell the smell of death. While he might have been wrong about Gary specifically, 
and even the cause of the imminent death. He was right on the most important part. Three days after this song was released, as part of the Street Survivors album, the plane crashed and Ronnie died. And I promise we will cover all this in great detail, but we've already gone way too long on this one. So until next time, I must be traveling on. Yeah, just